I got my first job when I was seven years old. I was working in a coal mine down in Kentucky. No, I'm kidding. No, I was delivering papers. I was delivering papers. Uh, so I got my first job when I was seven years old delivering papers in Crown Point, Indiana. And we had a little paper called the Crown Point Shopper. Anybody ever hear of the Crown Point Shopper? This tiny little free paper that appeared on your door every week. And uh, it, I got paid two cents, two cents per paper to deliver them. And when I'm seven years old, getting paid two cents to deliver the Crown Point Shopper, uh, I was making about five bucks a week, and I thought I was rich. Five bucks a week for a seven-year-old, that's, that's good uh, lemonhead money right there. Um, so uh, I got a little bit older. Uh, when I was 15, I went to work at a French restaurant in Crown Point. I was cooking on the lunch shift all summer long, uh, making lunch uh, for people there at the French restaurant. And uh, I made... $15 a day, 15 bucks a day, which was less than minimum wage, probably against the law. But anyway, that was a simpler time. Uh, so I, I was making 15 bucks a day at, at age 15 and, and, and just, you know, I had, I had money. I felt rich, right? Well, then at 16, I went to work at the grocery store behind my parents' house. And I worked at the grocery store for three years as a cashier. I remember my first day at the grocery store. I go in, and they, ha they had me sit behind the courtesy desk uh, and learn how to boop the groceries. Because that's what you do when you're a cashier. You boop the groceries. So I'm learning how to boop the groceries and all the things i got to do. And uh, I remember sit sitting down and going, how long am I going to be here today? They said, four hours. I thought, well, that's not so bad. First hour just drags by. Four hours felt like an eternity, like it was never going to end, you know. Uh, and now, 10-hour days, pfft, they're nothing. I mean, well, no, it's not that they're nothing. They're long days. Um, but uh, I just remember, you know, I was making real money. I was making $3.35 an hour. Yeah, minimum wage. So, I, I, But I'm making real money. You know, and I did that. I eventually worked my way up to $3.85 an hour when minimum wage went up. And then $4.15 an hour when minimum wage went up again. But uh, I, I remember I, I felt rich. I felt rich because, because I had this thing called margin. I, I didn't have any bills. I didn't have any responsibilities. No, uh, I had margin because a man named Charlie went to work every day and paid all the bills. So like the house I lived in, paid for by Charlie. The, the food I ate, paid for by Charlie. The bed I slept in, anyone? Paid for by Charlie, yeah. The clothes I wore, those, I paid for those. Well, because here's the thing. All right, so my parents made a deal with me that they, they could afford certain clothes for kids, steel worker, all kinds of things. Okay, so they could afford certain clothes uh, from stores that I didn't like. And they said, we will give you, we will give you $10 towards jeans because that's what we can afford. And then you have to supply the rest if you want to wear brand names. Uh, brand, brand names. Uh, and you know, me, pfft, stupid, uh, <laughs> cares more about fashion than he does about saving. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I went to uh, the mall and spent $40 on jeans, you know, because again, Calvin, hello. Um, so I, um, you know, I, but I, I felt rich because I had margin. And maybe there's been times, and, and maybe times in your life that you felt rich because you had margin. 
you know, you had more margin, yet you didn't have the bills and responsibilities. The moral of the story is, if you want more margin, move in with your parents. Now, you'll have rules and restrictions that you have to follow, but move in with your folks and you'll have more margin. But you get older, right? You get older, you, you, you make more money, uh, but you have less margin. Because there's this company, this company called Nipsco. And they expect you to send them money every month so that you can have heat and electricity. There's a, there's a company that owns your house. Oh, you think you own your house. You don't own your house. The company owns the house. And you have to send them money every month to be able to live in your house. The car you drive, the gas that goes into it, it doesn't just magically appear. No, you have to put the, and the, and the, make the, the gas go in. The food does not magically appear in your refrigerator either. No, we have bills and responsibilities and things that we have to do, and therefore we have less margin. And so what happens is we don't feel rich. But the fact is we are rich. Whether we realize it or not, we are rich. We said a couple weeks ago that if you make $48,000 a year or more, you are rich. You're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. Top 1%. Congratulations, folks. We're rich. We don't feel rich, though. And because we don't feel rich, we don't believe that we are rich. And, and so what ends up happening is, is that we end up hoarding. The more we make, the more we are tempted to hoard. Whether it's our time or our treasure. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we continue in our series called How to Be Rich. Now, notice, this series is not called How to Get Rich. The no magic lottery numbers coming your way, sorry. They're all for me. Uh, no. This series is called How to Be Rich because, again, we've established the fact that we are rich. We're just not very good at it. And so if we want to get better at being rich, we need to talk about what God says about being rich. And God does talk about being rich. And we're looking at a passage of Scripture for, the, for four weeks uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And this passage of Scripture teaches us of how to be rich. And so this uh, passage of scripture, it was written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. And Timothy was leading and establishing the church at Ephesus. And so Paul tells Timothy, uh, gives him some instructions for the rich people in the church. Because there were rich people in the church. Just like there are rich people in the church today. And again, you may think, well, yeah, rich people, uh, that's not me. But again, if you make more than $48,000 a year, you're top 1%, baby. You are rich. Believe it or not, you may not feel rich, but you are. And that's what we're talking about. So I want to look at First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 once again. And uh, we're going to go back to it. Uh, and we're going to see about uh, what God says about being rich. First uh, Timothy 6, 17 and 18 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So uh, two weeks ago, we established the fact that we are rich when we talked about this passage the first time. Last week, we talked about the migration of hope. 
that how when we become rich and when we get more riches, our hope tends to migrate from God to wealth, from God to riches, from God to money. Uh, our hope moves. So instead of trusting in God and hoping in God, we start to put our hope in money and wealth and riches. And what happens is we become arrogant. And that's why Paul told Timothy to tell the rich people, do not become arrogant. Tell them not to be arrogant. Because what happens when we get rich? What happens when we get more money? We start to look down on other people. Well, I'm better than the poor. I'm smarter than the poor. I'm more hardworking. I have a better work ethic than the poor. And so we tend to look down on those who aren't as wealthy as we are. We look down on those who are rich. We become arrogant. And our, like I said, our hope begins to migrate from wealth, uh, from God to wealth or God to riches. We no longer, the more money we have, the less we trust in God. We start to trust more in money. And what does Paul say about wealth? It is so uncertain. Money and riches are uncertain. And yet we put our hope in it like it's always going to be there. We put our trust in it like it's always going to provide for us. And our hope migrates from God to wealth. So last week when we talked about the migration of hope, we made a declaration. And the declaration is this. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Would you say that with me? I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because God is the one who provides everything for our enjoyment. That's what Paul told Timothy. God is the one who provides everything for our enjoyment. The book of James says that every good and perfect gift is from above. That God gives us everything for our enjoyment. So we have to put our hope in him because he is the one who provides. So I want to go back to 1 Timothy 6 real quick. And I want to talk about how our hope can migrate back from, from wealth to God. So 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Let's read this one more time. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so there's three things that we who are rich, there's three things that we have to do if we want our hope to migrate from wealth to God. If we want our hope to migrate back from wealth to God, there's three things we have to do. And the first is we need to do good. Do good. Now if you've got your GFCC app uh, on your phone, you can pull that out. It's the first blank, one of the blanks that you can fill in is about doing good. And so we want to do good. Now, uh, this idea of doing good uh, has to do with like this. We talked about this last week, the, the uh, little Dr. Seuss food drive. One can, two can, who can? You did. You did. Look at this. This is incredible. Just the amount of you know, people are going to eat for weeks, maybe months, because of your generosity. This is doing good. Now, notice... Paul doesn't tell Timothy to tell the rich people to be good. He tells them to do good. Because the expectation of Christians, the expectation of Christ's followers, is that we would be good. I mean, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And that we uh, should go into all the world, uh, baptizing, uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey everything he has commanded us. 
So God wants us to, or Jesus wants us to teach everyone to obey everything that he has commanded. In other words, to be good. We're commanded to be good in the things that we say, in the things that we think, in the things that we do, in the things that we post. My Facebook friends. We are to be good. We're supposed to be good. How many of you ever looked at your kids and just said, would you just be good? I heard that when I was growing up. Just be good. And sometimes I wonder if God is looking down on us from heaven going, would you just be good? Like, be good to each other. But Paul doesn't say, command the rich people to be good. He commands them to do good. And and not to be just average do-gooders, but to be above average in our doing good. Because we, who have been blessed in so many ways, we who have received God's forgiveness and salvation, we who have received His goodness and grace, we need to do good. We should be very good and doing good all the time. And that's the second thing we need to do, is we need to be rich in good deeds. Again, this is above average good deed doing. Not just average good deeds, but above average. And this really kind of goes down, uh, boils down to our time. And, and how much time we have and how much time we waste. Oh, do we waste time. Oh, do we waste time. Let's, let's put it this way. If you work 40 hours a week, and, and let's, let's, let's add in a few hours. So, commuting time. You're not like me. I have a three-minute commute. I'm very blessed that way. The worst thing for me is when a train is blocking my... Oh, oh, why'd you have to bring up the train, Sean? You ever been sitting at a train? And the gates start to go up and then they start to go right back down? Oh, it, it takes the Jesus right out of Sean. I'm telling you, it does. It, it's, it's awful. It's, it's like, you've got to be kidding me! <laughs> Don't you know, train? I have places to be and things to do. Oh, it's terrible. Anyway, um, but we waste so much time. And you're thinking, yeah, it trains. No, we waste so much time. So you got 40 hours a week to work. Let's say 20 hours of waiting at trains if you live in Griffith. Um, 20 hours of like miscellaneous activities that we have to do. You got to eat. You got to, you know, you got to cook. You got to commute. All right, so 20 hours. So that's 60 hours a week. Um, Let's say you see, how many of you sleep eight hours a night? I know, it's like a dream, right? Oh, if only, if only. We're going to just say, for argument's sake, eight hours of sleep a night. So that's 56 hours a week. So 56 plus 20 plus 40 is about 116. We'll give you an extra 10 hours in there for just other stuff that comes up that you got to do. That's 126 hours a week. Do you know how many hours there are in a week? 168. 168 hours every single week. If you have 126 hours taken up in activities that you have to do, that's 42 hours of discretionary time. You have 42 hours a week. That's seven, uh, I'm sorry, six hours a day. I do math. Um, That's six hours a day. And what are we doing with it? We're wasting it. And and what do we waste it on? (laughs) We, We invented a new thing in the last couple of years called binge watching. Oh, you've done this, a few of you. Like you turn on the Netflix, and Netflix says, we think you'd like this show. And you're like, I think I would. I'm going to watch. 
every 40, ep- you know, every episode, uh, 40 episodes, like back to back to back to back to back, right? You know, we binge watch. Or we, or, or, oh no, not the phone. And then we, and we go to the phone and, and we just scroll, scroll, scroll. Well, that was a half hour. What happened? You know, it's like we turned to Rumpelstiltskins on our phones. It's like, no, it was Rumpelstiltskins. No, not Rumpelstiltskin. Who's the guy who slept? Rip Van Winkle. We turned into, thank you. We turned into Rip Van Winkle on our phone. Scroll, 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 scroll. It's so bad for me in that, like, I pull my phone out, and the first thing I do after I put my little fingerprint on there is, like, I hit the Facebook button. I mean, every time, it's like Facebook, and it's like, oh, nothing going on. I wonder what's going on on Facebook. Nothing? Okay. Nah, there's got to be something going on on Facebook. <laughs> it's terrible how much time we waste. We waste it on TV and, and sports. Well, maybe not so much on sports. Um, but we waste so much time. We're not intentional about how we use our time. We'll talk about that in just a second. But if we're going to be rich in good deeds, it means we have to invest our time in doing good deeds. Above average good deed doing. We have to invest our time in it. Lastly, uh, we need to be generous and willing to share. And that has to do with our treasure. And that means giving of our treasure. The, things that, the money that we earn. And here's the thing, is that when it comes to giving our treasure, Americans are very spontaneous givers. Like if there's a hurricane that hits the Gulf, you know, we'll, we'll jump in the car, go down there and, and help clean up. Or we'll text Red Cross to 99999. Right? We'll do that. I gave my 10 bucks. feel good about myself. That's spontaneous giving. This, this is spontaneous giving. Last week I said, hey, uh, get, you know, bring in, uh, grab a bag and bring in some groceries. And you did, and it's awesome. It's amazing. How many bags of groceries are on this stage? What a spontaneous giving. And we love that. We're very good at that. We'll say, yeah, I can, I can do that. I, I see a need, meet a need. I'll just jump right in there. We're not very intentional about our giving. We're not very intentional about our giving. We don't think about it ahead of time. And and really, when it comes down to intentional giving, it should be about percentages, not just about dollars. And there's a story that takes place in the Gospel of Mark uh, about this. Um, And we looked at this a couple weeks ago, and we'll look at it again real quick. This is from Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now the two copper coins that she put in were the smallest coins in circulation in Palestine at the time. Two smallest coins. And they were worth one 128th of a denarius. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, sure, a a denarius. What's a denarius? Well, a denarius was a coin that was worth a day's wage. And so this woman put in one 128th of a day's wage into the offering. Now here's the thing. Uh, If you make $48,000 a year, remember, you make $48,000 a year, you're rich. And so, rich person, if you had one 128th of your day's wage, that's 18 cents. Before you get too excited and think that I'm telling you you can put 18 cents in the offering plate, 
because I'm not. She puts 18 cents into the offering. 18 cents. Yet it's the only offering that Jesus remarks on. It's the only offering that Jesus notices and says something about. Jesus says she has put in more than everyone else because she put in 100%. Jesus is more impressed with percentage than he is with dollars. He's more impressed with percentage than he is with dollars. All that she had to live on. How could she do that? This poor widow, no one to provide for her. No one to take care of her and her kids. How could she put in everything she had to live on? It was because she trusted God. She trusted God to provide for her needs. And let's face it, the more money we have, the less we trust God. That's that migration of hope we talked about. The more money we have, the less we trust God. The more we trust our stuff, the more we trust our job, the more we trust our money, the more we trust our retirement, the more we trust our social security. The more we trust, the more we have, the more we trust our stuff, and the less we trust God. So what can you do to keep your hope from migrating, to keep your hope from migrating from God uh, to riches? There's three, uh, two things you have to do, and, and, and that means being intentional. And the first way you need to be intentional is with your time. You need to be intentional with your time. And when it comes to that, I mean it's like serving. Uh, there's, there's three things you need to do. And we're going to talk about this next year in a series called Raising the Bar. Um, and, and we're actually going to introduce this as our vision for 2020 at the end of the year. But there's three things here at GFCC. If you want to be a growing Christian, there's three things you need to do. You need to worship, you need to study, and you need to serve. And so that service aspect of it, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus... Okay, uh, when you believe in him and turn away from sin and repentance, confess your faith and get baptized, God not only saves you and forgives your sins and washes you clean and fills you with the Holy Spirit, but he also gives you a ministry. You are a minister. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. And it's like, no, Sean, you're the minister. No, 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 we're all ministers. Every single one of us, we're all ministers. And you have a ministry and you need to serve in your ministry. And if you're not serving in your ministry, you're not going to grow as a Christian. You need to serve in your ministry. And i got a great way for you to serve today. Today, you can do this today. From 1 to 3, we're going to have our distribution day uh, at, GFC, at the GFCC Ministry Center of New Elliott. That's at 1815 South Colfax, uh, down on Old 30. And so we want to encourage you to, to go and, and volunteer your time giving food and clothing to those who are in need. That's from 1 to 3 today. But here's the thing. That's spontaneous. What about intentional t using of your time? We do it two Sundays every month, the third and fourth Sundays of every month. We go to the ministry center. We hand out food and clothing to people who need it. And so here's, here's the thing. Decide, pre-decide, predetermine in your heart that I'm going to, to donate my time to that once a month. So the third Sunday of the month, I'm going to go there for a year, for a year, every Every third Sunday for a year, I'm going to go to the ministry center and I'm going to hand out food and clothing to people who need it. Or I'm going to be a friendly face. Or I'm going to help sort clothes on, the, on Tuesdays. Because Tuesdays from 10 to 2, they sort clothes. Because we get tons of donations and those things need to be sorted. And so be intentional with your time in serving in a ministry. And that means, again, there's nothing wrong with spontaneous, but spontaneous only goes so far. You need to be intentional with your time. And if you'll do that, uh, you will be able to do, you'll be rich in good deeds. Now when it comes to being generous and willing to share, you need to be intentional with your treasure. 
to be intentional with your treasure. Not just with your time, but with your treasure. And that means predetermining, predeciding, determining ahead of time that you are going to be a generous giver to the kingdom of God. I want you to know, every dollar that's given here at GFCC goes to one purpose, and that is helping people follow Jesus. One purpose, helping people follow Jesus. Every dollar you give, whether it goes overseas to a missionary, helping people follow Jesus in another country, or helping people follow Jesus here in America in one of the ministries that we support here in America. Uh, if it goes to salaries, it helps uh, pay our way so that we can do what we do to help people follow Jesus. You know, keeping the building updated and, and, and kept up. Every dollar we look into goes to that purpose of helping people follow Jesus. We don't like sitting on money, and we don't like spending money like fools, but we don't like sitting on money just to have it. We want to help people follow Jesus. And that means we need, to be, we need givers who are intentional about their giving. And there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can give here at GFCC. One, you can give here in the worship center, like on a weekend. But we also have two online ways of giving. Uh, one is through our website at gfcc.net slash give. And the other is through our church app. And some of you I see on the app today. Um, you can give through your app. You can give online. And one of the things that if you want to be intentional about your giving uh, is to predetermine ahead of time the percentage that you're going to give. And if you get paid like every week, just say, I'm going to give every week. Or if you get paid every other week, I'm going to give every other week. Or you get paid once a month, I'm going to give once a month. It's just being intentional about it, not scraping the bottom of the barrel, but giving off the top. And, and say, I'm going to determine ahead of time that I will be intentional about my giving because I believe in the mission of GFCC. I believe in the vision of GFCC. And I want to see our church not just grow, but I want to see our church reach people who don't know Jesus yet. And that's what we want to do. And so if you will determine ahead of time and just say, and you can go to, like I said, you can go to one of our online ways of giving and set up a recurring gift. Like my, my tithe comes out every Friday morning. I get paid on Friday and every Friday morning my tithe comes out. I don't mean to brag. I'm not boasting about it. I'm just telling you that's what I do. And so every Friday morning my gift comes out. And it's just what I determined ahead of time that I was going to do. I was going to give this percentage and it's going to come out every week. And so it comes off the top. I don't like cancel my gift if I don't have enough money. Uh, it means I don't go to McDonald's, which I don't need to do anyway. And neither do you. <laughs> we need to be wise about how we use our funds. And we need to be intentional about how we give. So whether you're giving online or giving here in the worship center, be intentional about your giving. Determine ahead of time the percentage you're going to give and then give it. We talk about giving in three ways here. We talk about giving gener uh, consistently, generously, and sacrificially. And so maybe for you, this is just a challenge to start giving consistently. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to determine how much I'm going to give. I'm going to give every week. And we don't talk about money here a lot. We, we talk about it very rarely, uh, maybe just a few times a year. Um, so we're not one of them churches that's always like, give, 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 give. That's not what we do. We're a church that wants to help people follow Jesus. And that means sometimes we've got to talk about money. And here's the thing, Jesus talked about money a lot in the Gospels, a lot. And so it's important, because where your money is, or where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And our treasure reveals a lot about our hearts. Um, so when it comes to this whole idea of feeling rich and being rich, just because we feel rich, or we don't feel rich, doesn't mean that we aren't. And if we want to be better at being rich, then we need to be intentional about our time 
and our talent. And when we do that, when we are intentional about our time and our treasure, we'll see more people come to know Jesus. And we'll change lives for God's glory. And, and we'll, we'll see families transformed. And communities transformed. And, and, and maybe our world will be transformed. And it starts when we learn how to be rich.